0: Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Well, who would have thought that at the beginning of this year, when I encouraged us all to find new ways of finding the rhythm of Jesus in our lives, that is to find ways in which we might understand how we would come in so that we would go out, we would come in so that we would go out, be released into the community around us, that we would have to face the year like we've had. Who would have ever thought it? Such a, such a strange and interesting time that we find ourselves in and for those who, who kind of can't remember, perhaps you weren't even here with us, perhaps you've joined us online since or perhaps it is that you're here with us live since uh, I spoke about those things today. I just want to revisit what it means to be released. I want to revisit what it means to hold on to the vision that I believe God gave us for this year and how we're to still partner and co-labor with Jesus in what he has for us as a church and for this city of Brisbane we talked about this idea of coming in and going out the fact that of coming in is this coming into the intimacy of relationship intimacy and worship to care for one another to 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 be fed and to be fueled up to surrender our agenda to Christ's agenda how's that gone for you like really how's that gone Because if most of the conversations I'm having, it's not gone so well. Like, to be honest with you, it's been hard, hasn't it? I, I I want you to just have a look around the room right now. We today are at capacity. There's not one spare seat left in the church, and that's because we're supposed to have the worship team down here, which will not get those seats next week, and you should be sitting there now. I don't know where they've gone. But we're at capacity, that's awesome, right? That's great. We can rejoice and be thankful that we're coming in, but it hasn't been easy, has it? And it's still kind of not easy. It's not easy to remember to register so that you're not in a long queue out the front. It's not easy to to feel like when you're watching online at home, like everything's okay because it just feels so different. And then you arrive here and it feels different again. And I don't know about you, but I believe that perhaps this whole year has taken more of a toll than we give credit for. I mean, for some, it's taken the greatest of all tolls. It's taken their lives, it's taken the lives of a loved one or, or a friend or, or a neighbor or, or others we might know or be related to or connected with. And, and that's the worst of the tragedy. We've seen it destroy livelihoods and take those sorts of things away. But for the majority of us who haven't experienced those sorts of grief-stricken moments, I still think this year is taking more of a toll than we realize. For many of us, we're living through an unexplained grief. What what are we grieving over? For some, it's obvious loss of job. We might be in broken relationships. But for others of us, it seems like, well, things are relatively normal as far as they go, but they're not. And I think there's this weird mix of grief and and a little bit of anxiety mixed in there in most of us. And we've just let it bubble under the surface, but I think it's starting to rise up in our communities. And then you come back to church, and wow, everything just feels so different, right? Where's the cafe? Where's the community time? Praise God, our, grades, our little one- and two-year-olds are back in kids' church. we finally got some volunteers that would brave those spaces of snotty-nosed kids and, and jump in there and look, help, look after them. and you can feel a bit more confident about coming in and as things change. But it's so different, isn't it? It really is. But we have much to be thankful for. We long for the familiar. We long for that sense of community, the corporate expression of coming in to worship, the intimacy of what that means, only to, well, felt a little bit disappointed. And when something that's so important has been stripped away from us and replaced by something that doesn't met those expectations, it's easy to feel disappointed. It's even feel angry. It's even kind of trying to find fault. But I want to, I want to encourage you today to, to change things around a little bit in the way in which you're seeing things. I wanna reorient you back to how we started this year and what we talked about. Because I think it's just, it's not the end of the story, you know? God still wants to do some amazing things through His people. There's never been a tragedy, there's never been a concern in history that God has not been able to trump over the top of. And He wants to do it again. You see, we still get to meet in worship while brothers and sisters around the world can't in different places, even here in Australia. We have new opportunities to explore with streaming and devotions online and and great things like that. Today, you can even get prayed for, albeit with a mask on and the other person too, but what a wonderful thing that we can come together again to be able to do that sort of thing. We are a blessed and a privileged people. And I want us... To be mindful of these things because I don't want us to lose sight of the importance of this rhythm of coming in to go out. We come in so we might go out and if the coming in is infrequent or not happening. I know I'm probably preaching to the choir when I say that. Or the coming is so different that you've lost sight of why you come. Then we're going to be ineffective when we go out because we never come just to stay, we come so that we might go. We're released to go out, released into the, to give of our gifts that God has given to us, released into the authentic expression of God's powerful love to the city of Brisbane, released in power to declare and demonstrate the kingdom of God. Just a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Joe in our Ephesians series was preaching out of Ephesians chapter 5 about husbands and wives, about parents and children, about slaves and free. And, and as he talked about that, he talked about the need for unity, he talked about this oneness that we find in who we are in Christ and that we need to be reconciled with one another. And, and, and it was a beautiful, it was a powerful time. Can you remember he got us to get out our phones if we couldn't go see somebody else and text them and, and connect with them in that way? And it got me thinking about our vision that we started the year with and how this type of community that Paul is talking about was describing something that there becomes an opportunity for radical alternative relationships that build radically alternative communities that can even radically change society. There's a sister passage, if you like, to the Ephesians 5 passage, and same author, same theme, writing on the same type of things, and we find it, though, to a different church, the church in Colossae. And so Colossians chapter 3 is what I want to speak out of this morning. So if you've got your Bibles there with you, why not open them up and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Verses 18 through 24 is what we're going to be taking a look at, and you're going to see and hear the similarities for what that means in this uh, passage, if sister passage with the Ephesians one. Verse 18 of Colossians chapter 3. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the lord fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to uh, to carry their favor carry their favor but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward it is the Lord Christ you are serving ancient Rome was a man's world really was uh, in, in, in politics, in society, in the family, uh, men held both the power and the purse strings. And they, they even decided whether a baby would live or die when it was born. Families were dominated by men he had absolute rule over his household, his wife, his children. If they angered him, he had a legal right to be able to disown his children, sell them into slavery, or even kill them. Kids who are watching right now, you be thankful for where you're living right now. As you can imagine, Paul's teaching in this type of passage we read out was, was accompanied by a great deal of tension. Talk about subversive. I mean, we read it and we think, what? All the language, we kind of almost take an offense in our own heart to what Paul might be saying because it's so foreign, different, you know, so foreign from the, the world we find ourselves living in now. But to understand that with these prevalent attitudes that were towards women and children and slaves in the ancient world, it's not hard to imagine how tensions rose and confusion reigned in first century church that demanded a different countercultural approach to the society at large. So, right in the midst of this tension between husbands and wives, and fathers and children, and masters and slaves, Paul has some clear practical instructions for Christians. He recharacterizes the relationships that exist. And here, emphasis in, in the Colossians passage, which you can also find in his letter to the Ephesians and to the Corinthians. He emphasizes that there is no distinction in the church. We are one in Christ together. There's neither slave, nor free, nor male, nor female, Jew, nor Gentile. There's oneness that's found in Christ. And what strikes me most about this passage is the alternative society Paul encouraged is based on alternative relationships and two main ideas the first is this that paul again reiterates the supremacy and the sufficiency of christ whatever you do work at it with all your heart as if working to the lord mt wright paraphrases that in a way in which he says so work for the true master christ that's who you need to be working for as believers Christ becomes the central point for all interpersonal relationships. And that's why Jesus summed up the greatest of the commandments as love God, love others. Why, because then he becomes central to every relationship that you have. And then Paul challenges the social norm and he calls people to a higher way. He calls them to Christ's way. And God's still calling his people to a higher way, to Christ's way. God's not bound by culture. And Paul now revolutionises the cultural norm. Husbands, wives, fathers, slaves, masters have to start entirely different types of interpersonal relationships, not based now upon how the world would have them, but now how Christ would have them. Spirit filled people with spirit filled relationships. The God in whom there is no partiality, who sees no distinction between male and female, between slave and free. In the Lord there are no such differences and they are to be regarded even as I guess traitors to a society that is obsessed with power. And this sort of subversive language saying, hey, you can't go on like this anymore, makes them stand out within the world they live in. See, empires are built on those power differentials, the strong controlling the weak. We heard about it last week as Pastor Robin talked about the whole idea of international justice mission and, and, you know, trying to... Find justice for those who are treated with injustice. But in Christ, there's an alternative society. And there lies the message for us today. See, the world we live in is not a Roman world, but it is one of self-made success and cultural progress. People want the progress of the kingdom without the king. And they'll try any means to progress themselves and therefore believe that we as a society is getting better as long as you can do it your way and I can do it my way. And if my way interferes with your way, then I might be seen as intolerant. Where we don't need that anymore, we need to all just find our own way. But we've lost our way. The world has lost its way. The world we live in is one which says, look after number one first. That's what matters most, to do all you can to succeed, to climb the corporate ladder, to outachieve your, your rival, regardless of the expense to others or your family, to, to play the social game of entitlement, power and prestige. Things have only changed the outward appearance from Roman Empire days, but really no different to the heart of every human being but in Christ as I said there is an alternative society a new way of relating that brings life in the kingdom we're offered an alternative from playing the game of society plays to win at all costs to living a life surrendered to Christ a self-sacrificing life a life of service to the king And with alternative relationships comes an alternative community. And when these types of relationships and community are released into the world, it can change society, one person at a time. You see, Jesus' plan was this alternative community. He's going to transform the world through this little, tiny, alternative community called the church. And it's quite staggering to think about. It was an audacious plan when you think about it, and and, and that's really staggering to understand what actually happened. There's a pretty well-known sociologist, Rodney Stark, he he, he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity, and he calculated the spread of Christianity and through the Roman Empire at a rate of 40% per decade. In 40 AD, just a few years, a decade or so after uh, Jesus died, there were roughly only 5,000 or so Christians in the world. That looks pretty insignificant, doesn't it? Pretty negligible. In fact, the percentage of uh, the Roman population at that time, Christians were 0.0075%. And then it starts to spread. And it keeps going until by 350 AD, there were 33 million, 56% of the Roman Empire who named the name of Jesus. Don't you think that's staggering? Was it because they were better at arguing about religion compared to all the other religions? I don't think so. Was it because they, they, they had more resource, more money than anybody else? Certainly not. It was because the presence of Jesus at work through the power of the Holy Spirit in their midst created a community like no one had ever seen before. Alternative relationships, building an alternative community that could create an alternative society. These words from the book of Acts are kind of a summary of the description of the early church. You can find them in Acts chapter two. This is the John Robertson paraphrase version where it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, and everyone was filled with awe and there were many wonders and miraculous signs. They became so generous, there was no need among them and they enjoyed favor with all the people. That last part, they enjoyed favor with all the people, is paraphrased by Eugene Peterson as this. People looked at the church and they liked what they saw. People looked at the church and they liked what they saw. Do you think it's happening today? Do people look at the church and like what they see? Let's not categorize that to something with a, you know, a facade and a steeple or a stained glass window and say, there's the church. Do they like what the church? Remember, we are the church. Do they look at you and I and like what they see? Because that's the power of the spreading of the good news of the gospel is when it becomes incarnate in our lives. When our lives reflect the truths of this gospel, the freedom of this gospel, the love of this gospel. And when it's lived out in us, the church, can people look and see amongst us and say, I like what I see. I'll give you an example of what it's looked like in Rome. Roman culture was strictly hierarchical, like a caste system almost. The equestrian class were the top of the, the tree just under the Senate, but, you know, weren't many of the, in the Senate, so the, this was the, the next class down, really, this is the top level. All the way down then you go through multiple levels until you get to slaves. And this is what the Roman society looked like. Everything within it, from the dress code to other things, reinforced the system of power, of dominance. Clothes you wore, where you went, who ate, where, first, last. Much of Roman life was arranged around guilds with wealthy patrons from this equestrian class. And the guilds frequently held festivals, and if you went to eat a meal at the festival, guess who got served first? The equestrian class, the ones putting it on, right? And then they would go through the different layers. So, guess what went first? All the best food, the seafood platter gone straight away, lobster gone, done. And then come the, the next class down and, and they walk in and there's some, there's some roast left. And they're thinking, well, this is good. That's great. I'll, I'll, I'll fill up on that meat. That looks tasty. And they're into it. You know, they're eating it. And, and then the, the next class comes in and, and, and they join the first, But they're, not, they're seeing all this food go out and they're seeing it all get eaten and they don't get to taste of it until they're next. And then when they have it, there's the next class down and there's, just, there's some bread and salad left, you know. Well, that's not too bad, they think, and then you get to the next one and there's just some bread left and, and all the wine's gone and everything else and, and then the slave rocks in and picks up the crumbs off the floor and drinks whatever stuff might have been tipped out or left behind or whatever else, and that's just the way society looked. And then there was this new community, this community that took an alternative look at their relationships, the way in which they treated one another, and they said to themselves, Jesus didn't really treat people like we're seeing things in the world be treated. Jesus said that he was the son of man, and he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all. And so you're a slave now, and you go into a house, where church gathers together and an equestrian class kneels down in front of you and washes your feet and serves you a meal first. And You've never been treated like this by someone like that in all of your life and you're just overcome with emotion. You just start, start crying and you start welling up. You get the best food. This has never, ever happened. Served by the highest class. This has never happened. This is outrageous. And he looks in your eyes and you look in his eyes and with weeping eyes you look together because he's never experienced the bond of Christian brotherhood so strongly by serving anybody before And there's never been a community like that. Nobody's ever seen something like that before. And Jesus said that that's how society's going to change, just one by one, little by little, the genuine nature of the gospel at work in each of our lives who call Jesus Lord and Savior, working out towards other people. And when he gathered the disciples together before he ascended into heaven, he said, here's the strategy. I'm going to change your heart and you're going to be going to be released into the world to make a difference in my name. And the secret weapon that you're going to have on board with you all of the time is my presence, the power of the Holy Spirit at work through you. And this is going to be good news for everybody for the whole city, or to put it in our terms, this is gonna be good news for everybody around us in your workplace, in your school, in your university. He's gonna empower us to be supernaturally natural, a radical alternative community of believers. And it changed the world back then. And now it's River Life's turn. And I want to talk about what this means for you and me as we live in this alternative community in which to change society, to see how when we live in love, centered, liberty, not only relationships change, but the world around you can change too. There's this beautiful passage in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10. It says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Tim Keller writes about that like this. He says that that means that there's a certain group of people that when they rise to the top of their field, when they make it, nobody around them is envious. Nobody complains or grumbles because they're in charge. These people have such character that the people around them say, this is gonna be good news for everybody, for the whole city. Or to put it in our terms, you know, good news comes when the righteous prosper. Now in our day, the, the, world, the word righteous has lost all of its beauty. Usually it means someone who is self-righteous. Very kind of rarely does anyone come up to you and say that you are righteous and mean it as a compliment. Unless, of course, you're still living in the 90s where the word righteous would be accompanied by the words totally, babe or dude. But theologically, that's not the same thing. You see, in Hebrew, the righteous one are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage community. They're willing to disadvantage themselves to bless the community. And of course, the paradigm of this is Jesus himself Who, though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, became poor so that we, through him, might become rich. Not materially rich. Rich in here. To know our creator, God, intimately. And Jesus spent a lot of time redefining what it means to be righteous, to use pictures. He described and illustrated it like this. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill, a community that's infused with this kind of light. It cannot be hidden. It means that being that kind of person about whom other people would say, you know, I, I don't believe what he believes. He believes. I don't think what he thinks about God, but I shudder to think what would happen if he wasn't in our neighborhood. Or be the kind of person whom someone would say at work, she adds so much value, so much compassion, so much joy, so much life to this place. I don't agree with her faith, and I don't even believe in her God, but I think we'd be worse at work without her. You see, there's no point in coming in if we're not going out, if we're not released. And if you aren't coming in to be blessed and refreshed and then you won't be effective as you go out, the church is not a religious service provider. The mission of the church is to not make sure that things are going okay inside of our building while the rest of the world goes to hell. On Sunday, the body of Christ gathers together and that's good. That's a great thing. But on Monday, Jesus hits the road. It's game day, people, Monday. Monday to Saturday is game day. Today's a day where you can get refreshed and you're blessed and you're fed and you might need an ice bath and be ministered to and prayed for and encouraged and all those things so that come game day tomorrow, you're ready to play. If the gospel isn't good news for everybody, it isn't good news for anybody. Oh, come on, I know we're in a Baptist church, but I need another amen for that. You see, Jesus said our mission is to be kingdom bearers, to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May people come to realize what a glorious, good God you are because of me. Because of what you've done in me is on display to the rest of the world around me. That's what a name is about, the personhood of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to be these kingdom bearers. The rest of the world always jockeys for position, doesn't it? Do you know our position as kingdom bearers? Servants. We serve the king. It's his story, not ours. We fit in with what he's doing. One day James and John they came up to Jesus, asked if they could get some preferential treatment, driven by their mother. They wanted the best seats in the kingdom. When the other 10 disciples heard about this, they were indignant with these two brothers, James and John. Not only had the two brothers come to Jesus, they had their mum ask them, you know, how would you be getting your mum to make the ask for you? You can just imagine Jesus shaking his head, going, oh no. Jesus gathered them all together at that point. He said, you know that the rulers... Of the Gentiles, they lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first amongst you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, why were the ten angry at James and John? who wanted the best seats in the house? Was it because the other 10 were committed to humility and servanthood and were upset that James and John might damage community? (laughs) No. They were concerned about where they were gonna now fit in in the pecking order. But the kingdom says it's different for us. Jesus says, you know that the rules of the Gentiles, they get to lord it over everyone else and their high officials exercise authority over everyone. That's the way things go. We know that, that's society. And then he says these four words. Not so with you. Not so with you. Not so with you, 10 disciples. Not so with you, Riverlife Baptist Church. Not so with you in your home. Not so with you in your office. Not so with you on your university campus, in your neighborhood, or in your church, or in your family. Not so with you. He's abolishing the pecking order. He's calling for the creation of an alternative way of relating that is radically different from the world around us. And when seen by a community, it can be radically different for the society that community lives in. It changed the world at one time and he wants to do it again. And there's nothing like the kingdom of God. When people in Colossi would hear about this. They would say, that's what I want more than anything else. To be part of that. that, that's what I want. They liked what they saw. And then they'd sacrifice everything for it, their lives, their possessions, and they'd do it with joy. And things started to be turned upside down. And I know things I hear have been turned upside down. Our world has been turned upside down, but it's still not right way up. It's just been upside down and, and is destroying the, and messing with the, the, the system of power and, and, and the nature of things that are still the way of the world. And it needs another subversive work of something looks totally different. Kingdom bearers going and bearing the name of their king. In the way in which they live to be released into this city to make a difference one life at a time and that's what we're called to do church you're called to bring an alternative society to your workplace to set a different values in your relationships maybe make a difference in your school or your university campus your home your neighborhood but one thing is certain You are God's plan to change the world and you've been released with his power to do it. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.